0: When someone excels in their music, they may be given a title of royalty, the queen or king of a genre. Today, we are looking at one important voice that left us way too early. Meet you at the table as we discuss the king of soul, Otis Redding. I'm Lainey, and I'm Laura Beth, and we are
1: Steel Magnolias, the strength of steel with the grace
0: of a magnolia. We are here to have uplifting conversations about life in the South, and we've got plenty of room at our table, so pull up a chair. Well, here we are, sis. Sitting at the kitchen table. <laughs> yes, we are. We are sitting at the kitchen table. I don't have all the other lyrics reminiscing. I'm not that good. We're, we're
1: not paying any royalties <laughs> on that five seconds of glory <laughs> that was attributed to the great Otis Redding, and we are going to spend the whole episode talking about this legend because he deserves his own episode. He so. deserves
0: his own episode and just was gone too early. So way way what too early. Could have been. What's yeah, think about that with a lot of these music artists that are gone too early.
1: Yeah, but I don't like to think about that because then it it just seems like
0: that we're too depressing. God. Yeah, oh.
1: well, just too it. Yeah, it just I try and just focus on that's amazing that they accomplished that much in so in little of short, time. Yeah, I'll but, keep
0: singing. I'm thinking, but only the good <laughs> die young. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: Well, I can't even sing, and I'm it, singing here. <laughs> What is wrong with me? Stop
1: giving us a microphone, folks. Well, we wanted to focus on Otis because he is absolutely Southern. He was born in Dawson, Georgia, and his family moved to Macon, Georgia, which is just south of Atlanta, when he was two years old. At a very early age, he began his career as a singer in the Vineville Baptist Church. So many
0: amazing singers started at church
1: absolutely it is an integral place of so many performers getting a chance to perform That's true getting a chance to be trained a lot of these musicians didn't have music lessons per se yeah but they were a part of a choir
0: or a part of yeah getting at least a little direction yeah that
1: yeah so Otis Redding attended Ballard Hudson High School, and he did participate in his school band as a teenager. He began to compete compete in the Douglas Theater talent shows, and it was a five dollar prize, which I'm sure at I'm the sure time that was big money. That's at that big time. money. After winning 15 times straight, Otis was no longer
0: allowed to compete. <laughs> that's like, really funny to think about. In a small... You know, like, yeah, in a little towns. Like, Otis,
1: come on. Let somebody else have a chance. <laughs> You're out. I really wish, actually, though, that our entire episode could have Redding's music as our, like, soundbed. Oh, my gosh. Because he had so many amazing hits. and But I don't want to infringe upon any music rights. And so... Look him up if you haven't listened to his catalog in a long time, and be reminded why he is the king of soul. Yes. Uh, let me just listen. List a few hits just to remind you if it's been a while. Hard to handle. I can't turn you loose. Sitting on the dock of the bay. I mean respect. Yes, Aretha Franklin's respect was written by Otis Redding mr pitiful old man trouble sweet soul music these arms of mine and on and on he even covered try a little tenderness oh my god is that what you were about to say yes
0: that song i love so much but i have a memory that i always see in my mind when i hear that song do you know what it is oh
1: for sure (laughs) it's ducky right Yes. is it ducky in the record store Of sixteen candles. um, I mean, excuse me. Pretty Pretty in pink. Pretty in pink. Yes, I always get those two
0: mixed up. So great. Yeah, he's dancing around. So great.
1: And yeah, so any of those songs, if they don't, if they're not ringing a bell, just right now, go over to your Spotify. Go ahead and cue up some Otis Redding, because he is, yeah, (laughs) he is exquisite. And you know what? I love. He is categorized as the king of soul, and I love. A statement that you and I saw recently that described soul music, which was secular music with a substantial gospel influence.
0: Yes. And
1: as I just read his bio, that's what it is. Yeah. He originated his training in church through different gospel music So it has that emotional
0: feel to it, but yet yeah. the lyrics are secular yeah. lyrics.
1: Yeah. He seems like, to me,
0: an old soul. One of those people that is so beyond his age. Especially, I mean, okay, spoiler alert, in case you don't know, he's going to die early. We've already mentioned that. Yeah. But 26. Yeah, so even... To think about the way his sound was. Right, and he was 20, 22, 24. Yeah, singing I have those no songs. idea how That's somebody so that young
1: has that sort of maturity in their songwriting and but passion I even in their his, voice. Say his like, physicality. Like, For some reason, the generation of the 50s and 60s, when you see photographs of young people, And I'm saying like young people, meaning like people in their teens and twenties. They look, they look so much
0: older. That's true.
1: In the way that they dressed
0: and carried themselves. Let's talk about how they dressed too. In that whole time, like you know, these singers were dressed when they were on stage. To the nines. (laughs) I love that. It
1: would probably look like costumes today, because it would be tuxedos,
0: ties, right? A drummer, blazers, matching blazers.
1: you know uniformity across bands
0: you don't see that much now i mean you Mm-mm. see a few no bands that are choreographed with like a a theme theme like but they're not all in much. some
1: sort of denim <laughs> right and it's like frayed on one and it's you know like a <laughs> so tie funny. on another yeah
0: not like this though there
1: there's not sequined backup singers in pumps and
0: You know, right.
1: It's, yeah, it's a whole nother level. Completely different.
0: And the people coming to see those singers were dressed differently, like dressed up. Yeah. Well, Otis joined Johnny Jenkins and the Pine Toppers in 1958. And I thought this was funny. He's not only joining the band, he was also the driver. Oh, that's right. And so he drove Johnny Jenkins to Memphis, Tennessee for a recording session in August 1962 at Stax Records. Hey, Memphis. And so at the end of the session, the Stax co-owner Jim Stewart allowed Otis to cut a couple of songs with the remaining studio time. That's crazy. So that resulted in These Arms of Mine released mm-hmm. in 1962 and um I believe also the single, I've Been Loving You Too Long. Okay. So anyhow.
1: Released on records. Because like vinyl just records. happened to be there right? with a
0: little extra time. They have
1: like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of studio time that's already been booked so, and paid for. So if anybody wants to grab a mic <laughs> right, and cut a record, here's your chance.
0: Jump on there and do it well. Yeah. Well, after a lot of years of sewing in and... You know a lot of hard work his sacrifices finally started paying off and he appeared on stages throughout the united states canada europe and the caribbean with he was one of the biggest box office smashes of any touring performer during his time that's crazy
1: i really feel like he is singled out as a performer or a, a songwriter that just had a couple of hits not as a performer
0: Right, and think about too just the um, the times that this was the '60s. You know, racial tensions are high. Uh, yeah. In a lot of places, you know, for the most part, black artists were playing to black audiences. Good but point. This started to supersede that, like where he was able to be accepted for singing in both black and white. Oh, yeah, audiences. Which I mean, I don't even know how you do that crossover. At that time, at that time, exactly. Now it's wonderful that it's, wonderful yeah. that it's yeah. not a thing. But yeah, and yeah. So, well, one of the big things that really put him on the map as a performer was the Monterey Pop Festival.
1: Okay, so that's Monterey, California, right? Yes. Yeah.
0: Three-day festival held June sixteenth to eighteenth, nineteen sixty-seven. Wow. Before Woodstock. Before Summer of Love. Before that, in (laughs) fact, it became an inspiration and a template for Woodstock and other festivals, which were two, that was two years later. Okay. So crazy. So to think about at that Monterey Pop Festival, not only did you have Otis Redding, you had Jimi Hendrix, The Who, Janis Joplin, and both Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin leave us shortly after that too so oh, that's kind of weird to think
1: that's very about weird to think
0: about um that that wow many of them were gone yeah
1: yeah so you're right the monterey festival really shifted him from not just a performer for the black audience now he's crossed over yes and Also during his time in San Francisco, the San Francisco Bay, right?
0: (laughs) So he played three shows in 1966 at the um, Fillmore West Auditorium. And Bill Graham, who ran that auditorium, asked him, would you like to stay in a hotel or would you rather stay at a boathouse near Sausalito? Oh yeah, Redding really liked the outdoors, so he chose the boathouse. Well, that's where he was sitting on the dock of the bay. That's so <laughs> crazy, and wrote the lyrics of that unbelievable song. And he knew he had he was onto something when he wrote that those lyrics, because apparently he called Steve Cropper, who was a guitarist at. Stacks
1: Like in their house band. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he called him and said, I've got a hit. Wow. And couldn't wait to get with him to finish writing it. Wow. And get it going. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So Steve Cropper, who was this guitarist, co-wrote the song with him. Okay. And um another thing I thought was really sweet was he said when they were, you know, when he was co-writing the song and singing the song. Proper's playing the guitar and Otis Redding he said was really fun and funny and he kept making these like seagull sounds no way (laughs) like that he had heard that he had heard while he was (laughs) sitting on the dock of the bay and so Steve wanted to put some of those in the song kind of just to honor that because Otis Redding never got to hear the finished song
1: yeah so, sitting on the dock of the bay was recorded three weeks before his untimely death in December of 1967. He was um, on a plane, and they were going over some icy waters in Wisconsin on their way to a show. And it, I believe, were
0: pretty close. To they where were they very were.
1: close. I mean, four miles, I think, is wow. what I read um but there was some really bad conditions um there's there's really not anything cited as the true reason for the plane going oh, down. down but all but one of the band members and or, or people on board because the pilot passed away as well um actually survived all but one and all but one died
0: Yes, sorry. Only one survived,
1: and I also thought this was kind of weird. So there weren't enough seats on the plane for the entire band to go from show to show. They always had one that they were like short, short one, one seat. seat. Okay. So they always had somebody that would kind of rotate, and they that person would fly commercial oh, to the wow. next city. So there's one. So there's actually two on the plane,
0: and then one that yeah. was the one that flew commercial that day. Yeah.
1: yeah. I even read that little Richard had told him like not don't don't be flying in these conditions. Like wow. I think there was even some. So it's really hard to be like, mm. oh no, like were they given warnings that they didn't heed?
0: Yeah, how or do did you they just know think, our plane's good enough? We'll be fine, right?
1: How right. do you know? Like, or, or were they thinking, what's well, Wisconsin? There's always going to be,
0: mm. you know,
1: tough conditions, but. Sitting on the Dock of the Bay is credited with influencing the soul movement by combining traditional rhythm and blues with folk. And it was, um, what was the billboard sort of? Well, yes. Yeah, so. ab- uh, it did receive but uh, an award, or ex- not an award, it was uh, a chart topper. But that was after, of course, he had already passed away, so he didn't get to even see it
0: it was cons- it was the um first ever posthumous number one song yes that's what i was trying to think so of. the person yes. already being passed away and yes. then the song get- hits number one that was the first time that had ever happened and actually
1: three albums of reddings recordings were released posthumously And it wasn't until 1989 that Redding was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: He was in the Georgia Music Hall of Fame in 1981 and then Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 89. Okay. And then in 99, he received a Lifetime Achievement Grammy. Yeah, that's cool. So that's interesting to think, you know, all of that so long after his passing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought this was pretty interesting, too, about the song... Uh, sitting on the dock of the bay the music licensing company BMI named this as the sixth most performed song of the 20th century what with around six million performances
1: that's insane (laughs) that's insane I mean that's oh my gosh I can't even
0: royalties yeah wow wow is right well he, out, he actually really sounds like he was a good man, too. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we didn't know him, but I believe he was really had a heart for um, different races and cultures and just mm-hmm. how music could supersede that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. When you think about, you know, I think sometimes when things were, this was before our lifetimes. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> That just seems like so long ago. But Redding died five months before Martin Luther King Jr. was shot in Memphis. And the song was recorded in Whoa. Memphis. So think about just all that that Whoa. is. Yeah. And how amidst all of that racial tension, hmm. here he was with a white producer and a mixed race band yeah singing this song that just supersedes all of that mess Mm -hmm. it does it's a very peaceful song pretty amazing um and yeah he just seems like he was a a good man yeah i think he was a you know cared a lot about being a family man and i think he was probably a pretty good businessman um
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I had read he'd even actually already started his own record label while he was still living. So I think he was business minded as well, really wanting to raise up the next generation of songwriters and
0: artists. That's right. And so it's beautiful that his widow has continued that legacy. And, you know, it's cool when the legacy lives on when the person's taken too early. So there's an Otis Redding Foundation. Yep. The mission is to empower, enrich, and motivate all young people through programs involving music, writing, and instrumentation. That is awesome. And uh, even before his passing, he was
1: already awarding scholarships to young students for co- to continue their education. And, yeah, like you said, the, the foundation, it was founded in 2007. Okay. And there's an Otis Redding Museum. It's located on Cotton Avenue, right in the heart of downtown Macon, and it has a lot of Otis's treasures, and they have exclusive merchandise, and all the proceeds go to this foundation that we're talking about. But if you're anywhere near Macon, Georgia, and you have a loved one or a family member or friend that's a young person that has interest in music i mean you might want to check out some of these programs that the otis reading foundation is doing because they sound
0: awesome they sound awesome and the price is so reasonable Uh uh-huh so there's a camp dream it's a one week summer camp that teaches creative arts to elementary school children throughout the week campers will learn about piano guitar percussion stage movement they work together to write a song and they perform that at the end of the week i love it so fun i love it um but that is a week-long camp from nine to three and it's um two hundred dollars yeah that's unbeatable for sure really good for sure and then there's the Otis Music Camp, which is a two-week camp in the summer, focused on songwriting, music theory, vocal and performance technique, and music business. Okay, yeah. So, probably a little older focus, yeah. I would guess, on this one. Yeah,
1: so that might be more high school.
0: Yeah, so they jam pack the week. Um, this year, it's June 7th to 17th. And they do a final performance at the end as well. That's and awesome. And it's an 11-day program for $400. That's
1: amazing. amazing.
0: <laughs> you can't go to any camp for that kind of price. You can't. I mean, you can't go paint. Our free VBS at church. Well. But most of them are. Yeah. There is camps are pretty expensive.
1: <laughs> Where you're learning a skill. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I loved it, of course, because they actually, they did a podcast. As, and I'm saying they did a podcast because I'm not sure if they're producing new episodes. But the Otis Redding Foundation did the Dreamcast, which was a bi- bi-weekly podcast created by the students oh, of the cute. Otis Music Camp in Macon. And each episode of the Dreamcast features stories and conversations with these artists and... They just tell their stories, and some of them are from Macon. Some of them are from around the world. So you're getting to actually hear the voices of those that
0: experience the camp. So Very cool. Dreamcast. Very cool. Well, if this subject has been interesting and you want more Otis Redding or just hearing more about that time period and when he was thriving, I came across a really interesting book. It was actually um, – it's called – Otis Redding, An Unfinished Life by Jonathan, I'm not sure how you say his name, Gould, G-O-U-L-D. Great title. title, Yeah. Um, He also wrote an article in The New Yorker for the 50th anniversary of Redding's death. So that was in 2017. Okay. Yeah. um, That kind of sounded like he was pulling some from this book. But anyhow... The book not only goes a lot into Otis's life and history, but even kind of what was going on in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. And it sounded really interesting how they kind of talk about the social history from which he emerged. Yeah. Because there was a lot. of the things we were talking yeah, about. Yeah. So if you want more, dig into Otis Redding and Unfinished Life by Jonathan Gould. And, um,
1: that's awesome and i would say even you know we mentioned the otis ready museum but if you want a broad look at all of the soul music that he was a part of even the Stax museum in memphis yes is an awesome visit we've been there and it's well done it's in the heart of memphis and you're gonna get to experience not just otis but the entire roster of artists that made Lewis up and Pickett and the, the
0: staple sisters and lots of soul artists. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and it, the museum actually sits where the recording studio once was yes. it's, it's no longer in business, um, which is it, its own sad story. But, um, yeah, it's right there on the premise of where all these great musicians came and recorded songs. So it's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of the steel Magnolias podcast. I hope you've been inspired to just learn a little bit more. And if you have forgotten some of the awesome things that Otis Redding did, we hope you'll click over to wherever you like to listen to music and listen to a little bit of him today. We'll put a link in our notes to an Otis playlist for y'all. Okay, Lainey, peace be with you
0: and also with y'all.